When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host... Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I am joined by Ryzen Drafts, Ryan Roberts. Thanks for joining me, man. Absolutely, Joe. I'm happy I know how to pronounce your last name now, man. It's good stuff to start. Yeah. Um, so kind of, the combine is ongoing. Uh, draft season is well underway. I felt like it is time to really start to get a real read on this quarter, the, like the quarterback class, the draft class, scheme fits. Like, get a better idea. I, I am working through tape, but you do it all year round. Like, you have a much more expansive knowledge of this class, top to bottom. Um, you do this all year round. Like, you do, mm-hmm. like you know this backwards. So, I had to have you on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, kind of. Right from the go, I want to kind of like hit on the thing I think at the forefront of Broncos country's minds. It doesn't look like Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson's coming. Uh, Kirk Cousins sounds like he is staying in Minnesota. So mm-hmm. kind of the, the hope is shifting to the draft at this point. Um, I am going to admit that I hate this quarterback class. Uh, I have been on record more than once, basically, basically since last year. Uh, I am very down on it. Uh, which isn't to say, I mean, I could be wrong. You know, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, but since the Broncos elected to pass on Justin Fields and Mac Jones last year, they've been caught in a holding pattern at quarterback. The, they they traded for Teddy Bridgewater. 
They had the competition between Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. Uh, during the preseason last year when NBC's Peter King asked him about it, George Payton said that he felt he owed it to Drew Locke to give him a chance. Uh, and then he ended up playing three games after he lost his starting job. Now he's the only quarterback under contract. Uh, kind of assuming that they don't trade for Jimmy Garoppolo and they are not like, there's not a surprise free agent. Cause like right now the top of the free agent market looks like Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater. I know a lot of people are talking about Mitch Trubisky. Um, again, like none of those guys are anything more than a one year answer at, and like one year, it might be generous for some of them. Uh, it's kind of the quarterback class. Uh, I know that the, the Broncos under Nathaniel Hackett do plan to run a variant of like the Packers offense. Uh, I know that he was a coordinator before, but all the talk out of Bronco, like out of the Broncos actual site is that he is planning to move towards what they were doing with green Bay. Uh, kind of with that in mind, who really strikes you as ideal fits? Uh, I like the potential of Malik Willis. I don't know necessarily if he is a clean fit in like a Matt LaFleur type of offense. Uh, I know Sam Howell might make sense in terms of like a, like a poor man's Baker Mayfield. Uh, but I mean, who, where, where do you land on this? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I- I mean, first and foremost, I tried putting on Twitter in like November. I'm like, I'm done talking about this class, man. Like, I, I've had enough. I don't, I don't need to do it anymore. You know, I feel like at that point, I was just like, it's not. There's some developmental depth somewhere on day two that I would be very happy with, but unfortunately, those day two kids are getting pushed up into <clears throat> top ten, top fifteen, top twenty type of players, which they are not. Right? Like, that's the biggest issue with this class is there's nobody up top that's kind of keeping the depth as the depth instead they're getting pushed up as the forefront players as for like the fit i agree i'm not malik willis would probably be the guy that i would take the plunge with in this class in terms of betting on the potential if i believe in the system that i have in place the coaching staff that i have in place like i would take that plunge i think but i don't think that either he's the greatest fit in your offense i think that sam howell is because i think that sam howell does enough things working off of play action, moving the pocket a little bit off of bootlegs, doing all that type of stuff. And I think that he has a very quick release. And I think he can get the ball out quickly. Now you're not going to draft that guy at number, number nine though. Right. Like that's God not, help me if they do. Right. It, like that's not the situation you want to be in, in my opinion, Matt Corral, I think makes sense in the system. I think that he has some of the, some of the athletic traits and just kind of arm slot things were like, I would be like, yeah, that would maybe be a good fit, but he's another guy where he's coming from the Lane Kiffin system where, I mean, everything was just so simplistic, right? Like everything was just so easy for him. It was a heavy RPO system skip uh, from a physical perspective. I can see him fitting the LaFleur style that, you know, Shanahan style of offense, but we haven't seen him obviously in that. So that is a complete projection. So, I mean, t- but the, the, all that long winded response, Joe, to say, I wouldn't touch a quarterback at nine. I just wouldn't like, I would yeah. punt on this year, in my opinion, like I would give drew lock the year. And I know that's not like probably what Denver fans want to hear from, because I'm sure some are just like, why are we doing this again? And I get it. I understand it. But I mean, if you, if you didn't think that Justin Fields was the right decision last year at nine, why are you going to force a pick at nine here? You know what I mean? Like I just, I wouldn't force the issue. If you want to bring in a stopgap for a year, that's fine. If you want to give Drew Drew Lock the op, the op, the opportunity to maybe show his worth in a, in a you know buy it type of year, like cool, man, that that's fine. But I don't think there's any of those players that fit 
at number nine specifically, but if there was a Matt Corral or a Sam Howell or somebody like that that fell to second round, let's say, in, in a perfect world, then I might take the plunge because I think that they do fit the system well. Unfortunately, I just don't, I just don't think that – I think that a couple of them are going to get pushed up the board because teams always panic for a quarterback. It just never, never fails. I agree. And honestly, you kind of spoke music to my ears because that's that's really where I'm at. I think me personally with this class, mm -hmm. if it's up to me, I would take a good player at nine. Like, you know, take whoever you can if you can't trade out and get a future first, because that's ideally that's what you're doing. Because when you don't have a quarterback, you should be doing everything you can to set the table to go get one like what the Eagles did. I, I think that was brilliant. Uh, but barring that, take a prospect at nine, even maybe at 42. I think it's 42 in the top of the second round if another guy is there and then kind of see who slides. Ideally, sure. if somebody slides to you, I would love it. Um, you take him. And then if it doesn't work out in the first year and you know, it's gone, chase another guy, you have a backup. That's not mm -hmm. the end of the world. Uh, and it gives, you know, drew lock versus a rookie versus whoever your free agent is a year to battle it out. I know Broncos fans hate the idea of it because the idea of if you have a competition, you don't really have a guy, but the grim reality of it is the Broncos don't have a guy like, Right. Whether they take the guy at nine or whether they take the guy in the second round, realistically, they won't know if that guy is the guy in this in this class. It's a, it's a great point, right? Like no matter because I, I think the separation between who you would get at nine and forty two, like I don't think that it's such a chasm that it makes a huge difference, right? Like you're going to get a guy that's relatively in the same ballpark. He's probably a day two quarterback, whether he's at nine or he's at forty two, depending on who it is. So I agree completely, and I I think that obviously the long term people are always going to talk about you know was passing on Justin Fields, the right decision. And we'll see, like, we don't know if Justin Fields is yep. the guy yet. We think that he can be from a talent perspective, but if he isn't, then you picked a really damn good corner at number nine and Patrick Sertan jr. So I agree though. I, I think that I would not force the pick at nine. If 42 makes sense or whatever it is there in the second round, then I would take the, I would at least, I would at least, think about taking the plunge, right? Like I'm not saying even I definitely would, but again, if there was a Sam Howell or somebody like that at 42, then that makes sense. Cause like you said, you're not high heavily invested, especially with like the rookie pay scale. Now, like you, you, that's a backup quarterback. Cool. Awesome. Well, let's move exactly. on. So I agree completely with your, with your mindset there. It, it essentially gives you the replacement for lock after his rookie deal falls out. Worst case scenario. So that's, that's kind of where yeah. I'm at, you know, barring, you know, complete bust. but, but yeah, I, I, I agree that like, Again, th there are corners of Broncos country that are basically like all in. You have to take a guy this year because we cannot do this again. It's like, guys, we've been doing this for six years. What's another one at this point? I, I would rather wait a year to get the right guy than, over, you know, cost a, a good prospect to chase a bad quarterback. That's just sure. me. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad we're kind of on the same page. It makes me feel at least a little sane. Uh the good news is outside of the quarterback class, though, there there is some pretty intriguing prospects in this class. Uh, and a lot of them fit the Broncos' biggest needs. Uh, obviously, quarterback is the Broncos' biggest need. I know a lot of people have bought into this narrative that the Broncos are a quarterback away. Maybe if that's Aaron Rodgers, but I think realistically, the Broncos do have some pretty significant needs. Uh, they have one tackle on their roster right now with NFL experience. Uh, and Garrett Bowles turns 30 in May. So the, the, yeah. another, another one of those things where the Broncos have not actually drafted a tackle since 2017. Uh, George Payton has already come out and said, you know, that they, they do want to draft a tackle. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they re-sign a veteran this year and then look to try and grab a guy 
to develop to take over because outside of the top of like the free agent class, Taron Armstead, obviously, most of the free agent tackles are guys that you're signing for a year or two while you're trying to find their upgrade. Uh, the good news is, again, like that, I don't think this tackle class, based on what I've read, I haven't watched a lot of the tackles yet. So, you know, please tell me if I'm wrong. My understanding is there's probably three guys that are really, really intriguing at like nine if they fall. Realistically, they probably, two of them probably won't. But after that, you have guys that are toolsy uh, that could, like Trevor Penning stands out to me as a guy who has the tools if he can put it together, but he's coming from a small school, has a lot of work to do with his hands. Kind of reminds me of Bulls that way, based on just everything I've heard. Um, And then Raymond from Central Michigan, obviously, he's a little bit older, but he's a tight end convert. Does need some time based on, again, based on what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, what I'm reading, not what I've watched yet. Uh, yeah. But again, where, where do you land on the tackle class? Yeah, no, I mean, I I think that in the most realistic world, Evan Neal from Alabama is going to be gone and Ikem Iguanu from NC State. And even though that I, I actually prefer Iguanu inside, and which is, you know, a, a different, completely different conversation. I feel like nobody ever actually talks about his pass blocking, which like he lacks length and there's some issues there, but well, that's a completely different conversation. I think the guy, if Charles Cross is there, even though you have the left tackle in, in, in Garrett Bowles, I think that's a slam dunk pick at number nine. Cause I, I mean, he is the best pass blocking offensive tackle in this class. Like he is a special player. And obviously you have to worry, worry about like, we have to move one of them, the right tackle, I guess in theory it would be cross. Cause you're not going to move your stalwart left tackle over to right tackle when he's just been there over the last couple of years. So we got to move a guy that's only been doing a left tackle work and we have to move the right tackle, but he has the, all the athletic traits and all the physical traits. Now he's a guy that in that, Mike Leach offense, we saw the Andre Dillard thing, right, in Philadelphia where they just don't ask him to do much in the run games. And the the physicality aspect is just not always there. But I think Cross, biggest improvement, I think I have a turnaround of a player from the 2020 film to 2021, in my opinion. Like, I went, I came out of the summer, and I was not a Charles Cross guy. I was like, I thought his body – was just somewhat not maxed out, but like I worried about him adding a substantial amount of weight and then losing some of that athleticism, which makes him special. Cause I just didn't love how his body looks. Like I didn't think that he was going to be able to pack on weight and he did. And the physical profile got so much better and he showed some anchor in pass protection. And now I'm like, yes, I would take him top 10. Like there's no doubt. So if he's there at number nine, I would hundred percent take Charles cross. If all three of those guys are Joe are off the board, Nine is not the spot for an offensive tackle, in my opinion, because you mentioned a couple of the guys like Trevor Penning. I would start considering in the late first. I think he's a little overhyped. I think he's a good player. I could see him just being a starting great tackle for a long time, which I know you need. But I, there's just some limitations, I think, from a foot quickness perspective. Like, there's flexibility is not great. He's a mauling dude. He's super physical. I can get on board with him as a starting right tackle. He reminds me of a lot of Zach Streif that played with the uh, New Orleans Saints for a long time. Like, really good right tackle. But, like, first-round pick, eh, probably not, right? Like, I, I, it just doesn't seem like it to me. Bernard Raymond, if that's the pick, like, no, thank you, sir. Like, no, thank you. He's, I thought his film – was very rough, and then his senior bowl was even rougher. And he's already 25, right? Like, people talk about this developmental potential. Like, I get it, but you're already 25. Like, when's the development going to happen? Well, you're 27, 28 at the end of your first contract, and then, like, you're in the Garrett Bowles situation again, right? So um, I, I just would not touch that one. Now, if one of those guys was there in the second round, I would start to think about it. I really like Tyler Smith from Tulsa as, like, a day two option at offensive tackle. A lot of people like him inside a guard. 
And like, I get it, but I think he's going to be, and obviously he hasn't measured in yet, but like, he's going to be six, five, six, six with vines. And he's got this, he's got nice full quickness. There is some work. And if you were able in your theory, right. To get a stopgap offensive tackle and let him develop, he's got starting traits at offensive tackle all day, every day. So that would be my guy. Outside of there, I think they're all just dart throws, right? Like, I don't love Nicholas Petit Friere from, like, Ohio State. Like, I'm just not there with some of these guys. But if one of those three were there, let's say, in the second round, I'd be all over it. And then Charles Cross at nine, I think, is a slam dunk for the Denver Broncos. If the Broncos are doing – and, again, this is just based on kind of what I've seen from the Vikings history because, you know, Peyton was there mm-hmm. so long. I did dig into that quite a bit. It seemed like the, the Vikings really prioritized left tackle types – high like if they saw a toolsy guy but if they were going to yeah. take a swing on a right tackle they i i mean this is my personal view but i felt almost like they have an antiquated view of like oh he's a right tackle we can protect him so they don't always prioritize that guy is there any like day three dart throws that you kind of like for like a zone dual running game just because that might end up being what they do with a free agent to kind of bridge the, you know the developmental curve yeah, for sure. I think that one guy that pops in my head um, immediately is Dari Rosenthal, who was at LSU that transferred um, over to Kentucky this past year. Now he is a really gifted athlete; like he can move. He is a like very good athlete. There is some rawness to his game, though. Like he's just set points are not great right now. Like there's just there's a work in progress in the pass game, but he plays with outstanding effort. Power profiles improving. And he has really good feet. And I think that he's going to check all the boxes in terms of length and athleticism this week. Like, I think he's just going to check a lot of boxes. Um, other guys, like if Kellen Deesh for uh, the offensive tackle out of Arizona State, who's a Texas A&M transfer, if he's there on day three, definitely. I feel like he might be a riser, though, because, like, he's really good at East-West. I think he's going to test really well. So he might be a riser. He's got a little bit of shorter arms. So if I don't know if um, George Payton is very, like, stingy in his part, like, we need 34 inch arms. Like we need it. But if you, if you're willing to look past that a little bit, the kids got really nice foot quickness, which I think makes up for like the absence yeah. of length. So like it can make up for it. So I don't think it's, I mean, you never want to get in a situation where you don't have length and you don't have foot quickness. If you don't have one, you can still get by, right? Like that, that's where like the overcompensating for one or the other. So I think that Deesh has some of that, some of that makeup to him. Max Mitchell's a guy from Louisiana Lafayette that people seem a lot higher on. Like, I think he might go day two, but like, I, I would be, love him on day three, but I, I necessarily don't think that he's going to be there. Okay. And then the last guy, if I just wanted to throw out like a, a, a little deeper of a dart throw, I like Matt Willetsko from North Dakota. He is a really big kid. He was at the senior bowl. He's right around six foot seven and some change verify 35 inch arms. And he can move a little bit, man. And he's still developing his power, but he is a nasty dude in the run game. Like the power profile needs to improve, but the effort is fantastic. And he's played left tackle for North Dakota. So he's going to be a guy that obviously needs to transition over, which I mean, you're asking about anyway, but he has for me, athletic traits where I think that he can, you know, somewhere sixth round, fifth round, maybe somewhere in that ballpark. If you draft a Willetsko, he could be a guy that in two to three years, maybe he's a starter upside because I think that he has just that general physical makeup to eventually take over a starting role. Good to know. Cause uh, the other thing is when the Broncos only have one tackle on the roster, there's a good chance that even if they do find a starter at nine, they might end up also taking a swing to grab a swing. Last year they rostered four. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of hope they don't bring in a cam Fleming again. I no offense to him, Uh, but it's just having a veteran 
that you're paying $2 million to be the OT four is kind of uninspiring just because you're, you're spending a lot of money for a guy to be inactive. Um, I just feel like there's probably a better way to do that. Part of it was because Jawan James got hurt, but, uh, the other, well, well, here's, here's a, here's a thought, Joe. I I don't know. I don't know if this would be a thought at nine, but I mean, would, if, do the Broncos have maybe a, a need inside potentially, because like my next thought is, Kenyon Green from Texas A&M has played right tackle, has played left tackle, also can fit inside the guard. Like, would they be okay taking a swing on a guy that could be a tackle, but like at worst, he's a really good guard. Like, I'm just throwing things off the oh, off the wall a little bit. I'm glad you bring it up. Uh, I think the interior situation is really weird right now because they have a lot of they have a lot of roster spots dedicated to players that they have recently invested a lot in, but it does like new coaches. Uh, they just had Graham Glasgow take a pay cut and Dalton Reisner had a kind of a rough lat, like a rough 2021 for his, you know, what he had showed up to that point. Uh, Lloyd Cushenberry has not actually re- like he, he improved from his rookie year to last year, but his rookie year, he was probably one of the two worst centers in football. So I would hope he improved. So I don't think the interior is necessarily settled outside of, I, I would count on Quinn Miners starting, but everyone else I think is going to be battling for jobs. So I it wouldn't floor me if they take a guy who might be like a Kenyon green type. I don't think so. I think they're going to try and take a tackle, but I gotcha. do have my eye kind of like looking to see if that might be a possibility. I'm waiting to see, you know, if they, they spent a lot of time interviewing these guys. One, one position group that I have watched a decent bit, at least at the top and it's mostly because it's my favorite group in general is uh, the edge group. And the other reason for it is because outside of right tackle and obviously outside of quarterback, it's the most obvious need on the Broncos roster. Uh, after they traded Von Miller last year to the Rams, the pass rush fell off a cliff. Uh, basically, if Vic Fangio was not dialing up a, like a schemed rush, the Broncos were not getting pressure on the quarterback. Uh, this class is extremely rich. Uh, maybe it doesn't have a Chase Young at the top. Maybe not a Joey Bosa. But, I mean, I've seen, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah said there might be eight first-round edge rushers uh, in this class. And that wouldn't yeah. surprise me based on, you know, the guys I've seen so far. Um, and then also the fact is NFL history has shown basically if you want to get a, a true edge one, you have to probably take him in the top 50. Sure. Yeah. No, cause, cause I mean, the difference is, and we're watching the combine, right? Like that's what we're glued to for the next couple of days. Traits matter at, at edge so much. And those guys are going to rise because, you know, you're going to let the Curtis Weavers of the world fall, right? They don't have those athletic traits. But this class, I think, is rich for development as well. I think that it's really good right now. Like, I could see a bevy of guys coming in year one and being contributors. But also, I mean, the the future prospects of guys like David Ajabo and even Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, who, I mean, he got air hurt this year. He had the abbreviated season in 2020 because of the Pac-12 like those guys are not near their ceilings, right? Like not near. And if we're talking about specifically at nine for the Broncos, it's like, if, I mean, everyone's talking about Kayvon Thibodeau might fall because he likes things other than football. Like if that happens, okay, cool, whatever. But he's, I mean, if he's at nine, man, it's, it's like similar to the Charles Cross thing. Like I would run to the podium. Like that's easy money. He's, he's too good to be there at nine. Now I have, I have been, on this, and I don't know if you agree, I'm not a huge Aiden Hutchinson guy. I'm not. Like, I don't know if I would take him in the top 10, and I guess that's a hot take at this point because, like, everybody else would, and that's fine. I just – I see 
limitations in terms of change of direction. I don't see great flexibility. I don't see great bend. I don't see it. Now, he has a great first step, so you're going to get some guys to overset, and that's going to hit some inside moves, inside counters. You're going to win the you're going to win the corner at points because again, you have some, you have a good get off, but I just don't see high volume sack guy. I see a good player. I would take him like 20 to 32 or maybe even 15 to 32. And I'd be like, cool. He's going to be a good starting player for me for a long time. But um, all that to say is like, but if he was there at nine, I'm not sure he'd be the guy for me because I, I don't know if he fits what the Broncos are going to really prioritize at edge. And you can correct me if I'm wrong in that, but like, I feel like they're going to go after traits. Like that just kind of jumps off to me. So the based just on like the kind of guys that they took under Fangio and, and again, all signs are essentially the Broncos plan to run a similar system with Averro. Yeah. I think the edge player is going to need to be bendy. I think they're going to need to be able to play at least a little bit in coverage. So, okay. and, and again, because Aiden Hutchinson is basically unobtainable, like the way I try and prior, cause I'm, I, I juggle my draft stuff with the free agency stuff with everything else. I try to prioritize the guys that I know might be under consideration as much as possible. Uh, then sure. that, that combined with like, you know, whatever access I have to film. Uh, I have watched a lot of Aiden Hutchinson just because I'm also a Michigan fan. Uh, I have not, okay. I have not studied him just because I know he's going to go in the top three. Uh, but based on what I watch from broadcast, I'm more excited about David Ajabo, but I also, I will admit, I love David Ajabo. Uh, David Ajabo yes. reminds me of Brian Burns. Uh, sure. Like not maybe again, not to, I don't do comparisons. So I'm not saying he is Brian Burns. Uh, and I know you understand that, but you know, for our listeners, but yeah. like, but he fits into that same kind of mold as like a Brian Burns or like, even again, like at the ceiling, like a Von Miller type very doesn't quite have the power that Von Miller had the ability to turn speed to power. But just the freakish uh, like twitch, he can make you overset. He doesn't actually know exactly what he's doing yet, but he can make you overset. He knows how to get inside. He's much better with his hands than I think he gets credit for. Um, he is. Okay. And I also, yes, I am concerned about the run defense just because he hasn't done it a lot. And also Michigan did take him off the field against heavy run teams like Michigan State, uh, Wisconsin. He, he got taken off a little bit. Georgia, he got taken off a decent bit when they went heavy. Uh, mm -hmm. But beyond that, like when he has played against the run, I see the tools. Like I see he can do it. It's just yeah. put him out there and let him do it. And honestly, if he's a DPR in his first year, I think you're fine because the Broncos need one of those anyway. They have Bradley Chubb. They have Malik Reed probably because he's an RFA. They have Jonathan Cooper. Like you have guys who can play on heavy downs if you need that. Mm -hmm. And David Ajabo is one of those guys you take him in year one and year two, he's probably pushing for pro bowl. If, if everything goes yeah. right, I, I believe that he is that kind of guy. And I think by the end of his rookie year, I think he's an all pro type of player. If you're developing it. It's it's possible. And I, I would say like, if you're asking me, which edge is the guy that I would prefer at nine, like, obviously I said, Kayvon Thibodeau, if he's there, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think realistically, if a job was there and I mean, he might not be, who knows what, what, what the testing he's about to put up. Like he, I, I live in New Jersey and he went to Blair Academy right here in Jersey. The kid ran a 10, 900 meter coming out of high school, like just silly stuff, dude. Like it doesn't make any logical sense that he would do something like that. Like it, it, for his body type and he's going to be six foot four, six foot five. So we're in that ballpark, 250 plus pounds. And he's probably going to run in the four fours, which is just nutty to think about. But I agree. If you're looking for a guy that's a little bendier, that is David Ajabo comparative to the top of the class. Because I even think he has better bend than Kayvon. I think Kayvon has great switch, 
but he has great twitch and so does the Jabo. But I think Jabo definitely bends the corner a little better than he does, right? So I think that he's a guy that makes the most sense at that spot. I'm not a big fan of Jermaine Johnson at that spot. I'm not. And especially with like that archetype that you're talking about as well. Cause I just don't, I don't know. Like I thought I, when I watched this film, I'm like, all right, late first, early second rounds, I can get there pretty easy. And then he has the senior bowl and everybody's talking, Oh, we could go top 10. I don't agree. Like, I just don't think the film matches a top 10 worthy player. And then I'm a George, a big George Karloftis fan from Purdue, but like that does not fit your profile at all. I would stay clear if that, if like you need a guy to work in coverage a little bit and you need a guy that's going to work a little more in space, that's just not George in my opinion, but I think he is worth the ninth overall pick in a vacuum, but I just don't know if he fits this, the scheme perfect, if that makes sense. And both Karloftis and Jermaine Johnson are guys that, again, I've watched during the season a decent bit, but in terms of like actual studying, I have two games of each, so I've watched them, but I don't feel like, I don't write reports unless I, like, I don't write a report at like a full report until I have at least three, ideally five, uh, just because like, I want to have a real feel of like good game, bad game, all of it. Uh, but based on what I've seen of both of those players, I would agree with you. I think Jermaine Johnson kind of fits similar to like a Bradley Chubb mold uh, in terms yeah. of like good power player. If I was running a four, three type system and rushing and using him inside a good bit, I'd feel pretty good. Same with Karloftis. If you're dropping them both, either one of them into coverage, I'm not feeling anywhere near as good as I am about Ojabo. Honestly, I like Arnold Ebiketti more for that kind of thing. Um, Ebiketti's okay. weird in terms of, and again, tell you know, tell me what you think of this, but like in terms of Ebiketti, sure. he's kind of weird because Penn State stunt like they send their edges inside a decent bit, which is kind of weird, yeah. first of all. But also mm -hmm. he he gets a lot of pressure. He doesn't necessarily get a lot of sacks like over his career. Then you yeah. watch him on tape. He, I would say his bend is probably one of the better benders of the guys that I've watched so far, but his first step like comes and goes like when it's on, like when he lets loose, same with, uh, Sanders from Cincinnati, when Sanders just cuts loose and rushes, like you notice the burst, it jumps off his, his ability to attack up field is definitely notable, but then like there's snaps where you're like, why, why, why aren't you? And is it King, uh, right. King the snap? Are you playing slow? Like what, what, what's going on? Um, I like him a lot. I like the, I like the hands a lot, but yeah. Um, I, as of now for like the Broncos type, I'm definitely like, again, I would say probably irrationally head over heels for a David Ajabo, but that those are kind of the guys that I'm fitting is like that kind of mold. Um, are there any other guys? I know I haven't watched boy Mafia yet. I have seen him when Minnesota played Ohio state and I mm -hmm. plan to go back over his tape from what I have. I know that he is a freaky guy based on, you know, the free he's on the freaks list. I know he's worked out. Well, uh, I know a lot of people are very high on him, uh, yeah. but are there other guys that like, I, you know, that need to be on Broncos country's radar. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned my Sanders to start with. I feel like I've been higher on my just kind of through the process. Cause I agree there, but I, I also, I, cause I, I think that there are, is some inconsistencies from a, from a snap timing perspective, but I really do think that that's more based upon the Luke fickle system, right? Like okay. they ask him and I think it fits for what you're asking though, right? Like he's asked, he's been dropping in coverage and working on the second level a decent amount. Like he's been able to work in space, but I think that you see those glimpses, man, where he times it up, right. He's kind of let loose. And you mentioned already, if you want to ask me who, I, and I agree with you that Ebiketti is one of the better benders in the class. But if you ask me who the best band in this class is, I'd say my Jay Sanders. I think that kid can dip under a table, man. Like he has some insane ankle flexion. Like he can really, 
like he almost gets horizontal to the ground on, on his best rep. So that would be my guy that I would think would be a perfect fit. Now I'm not taking him at nine, obviously, no. but like at further we get into the class, I mean, second round, especially if he's at 42, like, yes, sir, please. Thank you very much for my Jay Sanders. Like I would love that one. Evan Kenny is a, is a difficult one for me because I watched his film and I'm like, this is what people tried to tell me Quincy Roche was last year, right? Yeah. Because I wasn't yep. a big Quincy guy. Yep. But like Ebiketti has such a feel for the position. He's got great hands. He's got good bend. Everything's there. But I agree. I don't think he's a great athlete. Like I think he's got great flexibility, but I don't think that he is a explosive guy. Like I don't t- expect him to test really well, but what he does have is despite being only 6'2", 240, something, 250, whatever he is, he has 34 plus inch arms. So like he's got arm length. So he's got length and he's got the nuances of the position. He's never going to be a first step crazy guy, but like he can win in that way. If I wanted to throw just one guy and you mentioned boy, Mafe. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price. Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The the parts are greater than the sum right now with, yep. with Boy. He's, That's what I've heard. Yeah, he's a freak, man, and you can see it on film that he's a freak. And I I I talk a lot with his uh, with his uh, pass rush coach, Coach Ed, who's an awesome guy, and you know even he's very f- forefront about it. Like incredible athlete. Three years from now could be made one of the best defensive ends edges in this class. And I believe that, but right now I, I just don't see him playing a high volume of snaps. And he was actually a, b- a little bit of better run defender than I anticipated, but like, I still just, he's not, he's not there yet. Like the nuance of the game is, is he doesn't understand how to use his hands right now. He doesn't have a plan of attack. Like it's just not there, but a couple guys that, you know, again, a little further down in the class that I think are really interesting for the system I really like D'Angelo Malone out of Western Kentucky. Now he is a very thin player, right? Like he's only going to play about 240, 245 pounds, but he has played in space a ton at Western Kentucky. And he also has flexibility and he has explosion. Like he is a super interesting football player that I would love to have on my team. Another guy, if we're talking long-term outlook, Amari Barno for Virginia Tech. And I'll be very upfront about this one. I put a fourth round grade on him. And the only reason he was a fourth round grade is because he's a ridiculous athlete. Like he is long, but man, the flexibility and the change of direction that he has at that size is just not common. It isn't. But I mean, if you think a job was bad against the run, and I know you don't, I'm just using him yeah, as an example. No, yeah. Barno is awful. Like it's bad, man. Like he is just getting displaced out of gaps. He is just getting bullied at the at the point of attack. Like it's not good right now. He can't play on early downs right now like he can't obvious like running situations like second and two well second and two might be play action but you get my point like there's not there's not he's just not that guy against the run right now but i mean the traits are up there with anybody in the class in my opinion like this kid's a freaky dude and he's a long strider and he's and he's twitchy and everything is there but you have to be very patient with him he could be Daniel Hunter in a few years, or he could not play at all because that's just there's there's a big chasm between the upside and the and the floor with a guy like a Barno. But the traits are very good in my opinion. One of the better talents at the position. He's just not ready to go right now. 
Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that was going to be my next question is what are the kind of the traits based guys that if you're, if they're outside the 50, who are you swinging on? Because to me, yep. and again, Broncos fans always stick to Shaquille Barrett. And I get it. <laughs> Shaquille Barrett is honestly, he's a freak in the fact that like his testing numbers were terrible and that's why he went undrafted, but he's such a technician that he made managed to make up for it. You bet on traits and looking at what the Vikings did, they did too. That's why they got Daniel Hunter. So I'm glad you mentioned Barno because he's he's a guy I've read the report and I definitely have been intrigued. I just don't have the Virginia Tech tape. Uh, yeah. yeah. Looking at the next kind of position group, and this is like a sneaky need, and the Broncos will make memes about it, or Broncos fans will make memes about it if Denver does this again. Cornerback, obviously. Uh, right. But Patrick Sertan is obviously, he looks like he's going to be a future All-Pro type. Ronald Darby was a big ticket free agent last year, but the thing is his cap number is 12, almost $13 million this year. And Mm -hmm. if the Broncos don't want to pay $13 million in 2023, they can actually cut him Uh, beyond those guys though. The depth chart is Michael Ojemudia, who's played 18 of 33 games uh, due to injury. Mm -hmm. And then he got benched as a rookie. And then a saying Bassey who ended up tearing his ACL, his rookie season last year, he came back late, ended up bouncing between the chargers and the Broncos. They don't have a nickel on their current roster, unless you believe Essang Bassi or Michael Ujimudia can do it. It almost looks like, and again, to me, I, I don't expect them to spend big in free agency because they have the contract to Ronald Darby. But I do think that in a nickel league, you basically need to find a guy who could be a nickel. If they're drafting that guy, they're probably going to try and find a guy who can play nickel early, potentially slide and replace Ronald Darby down the road. Is there anybody that kind of jumps out to you that fits that bill? The only guy that I've really like kind of keyed in on, and I haven't watched him yet, is Kyler Gordon from Washington. I know he's a really mm-hmm. freaky athlete. Odds are he will not be there in the second round, based on what I've heard to this point. Uh, right. Is there anyone else that kind of jumps out to you? Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a guy that that potentially plays nickel early, then maybe could slide outside, like a guy like um, Alante Taylor from Tennessee is a guy that pops into my mind extremely quickly, right? Like, because he's a He's more of a zone-based corner at Tennessee, plays in some off-man situations, but like he's just he's not a guy from a physical perspective that's just the biggest guy in the world. I think he's gonna be you know, he's gonna be sub six foot. And I, I think I don't know if it, what his arm length is off the top of my head, but like he's not just the longest guy in the world. And I don't know if he's the twitchiest guy in the world, but I think his change of direction is is good. It's it's on NFL caliber for sure. And he is one of the most physical defensive backs in this class. So when you talk about the nickel position, I think a lot of people kind of undersell the importance of being able to play physically, right? Like you can't just throw anybody in there. Like you have to be that alley defender. Like you have to be a force dude. Like you have to play, you know what I mean? I think a lot of people play Madden and they just say, whoever my third corner is can play nickel. I don't care if he's small. I don't care if he can't actually play as long as he's my third corner. It's fine. Yeah. Right. And and, and it obviously it means a lot, man, yeah, because you, it is. You get put on an island sometimes in, in run support, not in pa- not, not in the past. Like you get put in the island, like you're in a tough situation because if you coming up as an alley defender and you miss a tackle, like there's nobody home. Like if, if you didn't slow it down, at least the momentum, those linebackers aren't coming getting over top, and there's a big play that's waiting to happen. So I, I think that he fits that billing as far as super physical, can play inside, might even be a safety down the road, but like I think that he can play multiple spots in the secondary, and I feel similarly to a Cam Taylor Britt that plays at Nebraska coming out that he was at the senior bowl as well as Alante. And again, one of the more physical dudes in the class. And he, I mean, he'll come up and he'll smack you. If you told me again, long-term that he's a better safety in the corner, I believe you, but I think in certain, I think in certain systems he can play outside. I, 
for certain that he could play in the nickel, and I think that he could play safety. So he gives you that versatility, I believe, to you know kind of fit in there really well. Roger McCreary from Auburn's a guy that makes a ton of sense. I think that he might be there in the second round because I know a lot of people are rejecting first round, but like sub 30 inch arms, man, that's a hard sell for a guy. Like it's really hard because he might not be a guy that could play outside full time. It just might not, might be the reality. It's not anything against him because he's a good football player. His Auburn film is good. I was just watching it earlier today. I'll actually finishing up, you know, kind of just his scouting report a little bit. And like, he's a good player. There's no doubt. But he has no length. Like, he has no length unless he is a silly athlete, which I don't think he is. I think he's a good athlete. Unless he's a silly athlete, you just can't overcompensate for that lack of length. So he might be a guy, and he's physical as well. So I think that he'll be a really good nickel as well, potentially. Um, and then he, in a certain situation, again, could slide outside in certain situations. But, like, I don't, I just don't think that he's going to be outside corner all the time. Like, I just yeah. don't see that with him. If we're talking about a pure nickel, a guy that is definitely going to play nickel that's always going to play – which, you know, in an ideal world, you want a guy that can play a little bit inside and out. But Marcus Jones from Houston, I think, makes a lot of sense in the middle rounds, right? Because he is smaller, five foot eight. He is a pure nickel. He's a Kenny Moore, right? Like, obviously, I'm not saying he's Kenny Moore because Kenny Moore is the best nickel in the NFL, yeah. but he is five eight, a buck eighty, and he is incredibly quick twitch. He is physical as well. And he's a guy that like short area burst, mirror match, like all that stuff is good. He can play with a two-way go. Like it doesn't matter. He'll be good as far as playing man in the slot. And the best part about him is historically speaking, one of the better return men to ever play college football. So like that's also gives players. you that bump. Yeah. And he's got a high floor, Joe, because it's like, all right, maybe he's only a solid serviceable nickel, but like also he's a dynamic return man. So like that's why he's going to be on the team every single year. So I think that he has a really high floor to him. I think that there's a great baseline. And I think he has starter-level traits inside. And he's definitely not a guy that's ever going to play outside in the NFL level. But, like, that nickel position matters. If he's only a nickel for the rest of his career, fine. As long as he's doing the role correctly and doing it well. Agreed. Uh, how Are there corners that you think make sense at nine? Just because that might – I know Sauce Gardner is the big name. And then Derek Stingley – not working out. There's concerns about the Liz Frank. So like there's a decent chance he slides tonight. Uh, so I know that he will end up being in the conversation if he does. Do yep. either one of them really stand out to you? Like I'm, I wanted to see sauce work out. I haven't seen it yet, obviously, because you know, the cornerbacks haven't worked out as, as we record this. Uh, yeah. But I know like the no touchdowns in his college career is going to get everybody's attention. Derek Singley, sure. his freshman year, I, after the freshman year, I thought like there's no way he's gonna make it out of the top three. Obviously, you wrote it, you wrote it in ink after that freshman year, man. Yeah, it's like yep, there it is. <laughs> and and you know, and then we you know a year down the road, you're kind of like, oh wait, maybe he might be. Uh, but but they both like they do stand out. Obviously, um, the fact that Peyton did take Sertan last year so high, mm-hmm. it, it feels like it, I can't eliminate the possibility. Makes sense. No, no, I get it. And I mean, you can never have enough great corners. So like, I get it. Um, at nine, I mean, if Stingley's there, man, like talent level wise, he's probably a top three player in the class. If we're just talking about pure talent. So if he's there at nine, it's worth the gamble in my opinion, but it's a gamble. I do. Yeah. It's a little bit of a gamble. Cause I mean, he just hasn't played right. Yeah. Like it's just, it's worrisome. It's not, Cause like the film in 2020 was like a little up and down, right? Like it wasn't as good as it was as a freshman, but like you still saw the glimpses, but like he just hasn't been available much. And it's, and it's very concerning that he's also not working out this week too. I'm just like, that's a little, 
red flag for me, but, um, and and I'm not a doctor, but Liz Franks are kind of scary in general, just because they cause a lot of like, not always, but they can cause Mm -hmm. a lot of other issues that kind of develop off of it. Uh, so it's one of those things. Like if the Broncos check off on it, you hope for the best, but I'm definitely a little nervous about it. Yeah. And and it's, and I think it'd be a little different because obviously everyone talks about Liz Franks with like, you know, Peyton Manning right near the end of his career, but it's also like, quarterbacks comparative to a cornerback right like that's a little worrisome to, to say the least you know it's it's like a big man in basketball that has a bad back like that's not great like that's just not a good sign so I think I would still take a shot at him at nine because it's just like if you miss on Derek Stingley because of injuries I mean I think it's worth a gamble still because like his upside could be best corner in the NFL like it's not unreasonable to think that he could be that if everything comes together I think Andrew Booth Jr. for Clemson's worth the ninth pick. I'll be very honest. Like he is my top corner in the class because I think that he is just, I think he's just being undersold, man. Because like athletically speaking, I'm I'm sad that he's not participating in the combine this week because I think the kid's a freak. I think he was a high four three, low four four, forty plus inch vert, like springy. One of the best at one of the best I've ever seen of playing the football in the air. Like he had just. He seems to just hover. It's it's the most absurd thing ever. He's got wide receiver ball skills playing corner. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like it just should not be allowed. So that would be a guy that like I would be okay with for sure if if that's the, the decision that you make. Sauce makes sense system wise, right? Like you want to obviously get in guys' face and you want to be physical and and that's cool. I am also very curious of what athlete he is. I am worried that we're gonna go to the defensive back day the last day of the, of the combine testing and he's going to be like a four five eight athlete you know yep. what i mean Same. and then at that point i'm like zone based scheme like at that point like i mean you, you're not to hide that guy in some way right a little bit even though he's got great ball skills and he activates his length better than anybody in the class but like scary that's scary at the cornerback position so he's he's a little bit of a worry for me to be very honest like i'm I'm interested to see how he tests because I, I honestly just don't know what he's going to test because I watch him on film and I'm just like, I don't see long speed. I don't. I don't see long speed. I, I think functionally speaking, change of direction is fine because he's a long-limbed guy. So, like, obviously he's not going to move like a Trent McDuffie, right? Like, that's not going to happen. But it's serviceable. His understanding of how to use his length, his mirror ability is good. Like, it's all good across the board, and he's incredibly competitive. So, like, maybe it doesn't matter at the end of the day. But cornerback is one of those positions where testing can matter. Like guys need to be able to run a little bit. Like it's it's a necessity. You know what I mean? Oh, I agree. I it, I tend to think like in terms of measurables to me, it's like you kind of have to hit a benchmark, and then like the guys who are like really freaky, obviously catch your eye, um, especially if it's a surprise. Most positions, though, freaky athlete is like exciting, but it's not necessarily you know the end all be all. I feel like. Right. The space athletes, though, yeah, it tends to matter a good bit. Cornerback, obviously, is one of them because it's the most, in terms of athletically, it's probably one of the most demanding positions because you have to be able to run backwards and turn and keep going. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And again, if, if Sauce, I feel like if Sauce tests poorly, relatively speaking, everyone's going to hold up Richard Sherman because there's already been comparisons. But again, Richard Sherman is... It's like the Michael Vick for Kenny Pickett thing. Like everyone's doing Michael. Yeah. Like again, guys, we're recording this on Thursday. Everyone's saying yeah. Kenny Pickett's hands don't matter because Michael Vick was successful with eight point uh, eight and a half inch hands. And I again, normally I laugh at the hand size stuff because like Joe Burrow, Drew Locke, like 
Drew Locke is not bad because his hands are small. Drew Locke is bad for other reasons. Joe Burrow's hands are not the reason, you know, like anything goes wrong. But sure. there is one quarterback in this century who has eight and a half inch hands. So, like, yes, at that point it matters. So if if Sauce Gardner runs a four six, I care. I care quite a bit because then you're yeah. saying, is he Richard Sherman or are we gambling on a slow corner? Yeah, no, that, that's and it's a great point because it, it like those comparisons worry me as well too because you are you are comparing his situation to the most outlier of outliers, right? In, in both situations, like Richard Sherman being six three, but also being four five seven or whatever he ran and being a former wide receiver, like that just it doesn't happen, right? And like Michael Vick, eight and a half inch hands, but like he's the best athlete we probably have ever seen at the position him or Lamar Jackson so like that's why he was able to overcome some of the over like he has overcompensating other athletic traits that made him that way Richard Sherman was a former wide receiver so like the ball skills were fantastic there's other traits that they have that lets them overcompensate it's not just that they're an ordinary athlete and that's all they are like they have redeeming qualities to their game and maybe Sauce Gardner does and I I hope he does because I really like a lot of what I see on film but there is a worry of me that like this guy just is not the athlete that I want to take in top 10. Like I, I just worry about that one guy. If I could just throw one yeah, dude out, yeah. it makes it to 42 potentially. I think when I watched, when I watched um, Patrick Sertan jr. I see a lot. I well, actually let me, let me rewind. Let me flip that the other way. When I watch Kair Elam from Florida, I see a lot of Patrick Sertan jr. I do. I, I think that they play very similarly. I think that Kyrie Elam is going to test a lot better than people think, like Patrick Sertan Jr. did. I think that he understands how to work at the line of scrimmage very well. I think he's got really good zone awareness. He's never going to change direction like some of these other guys, right? Because he has those long levers, kind of like Patrick Sertan. Like, it's not debilitating how he changes direction, but, like, it's not as smooth as it would be with a 5'10", 5'11", corner, naturally. But I think that he's going to get billed as this – heavy zone scheme corner because of the size and the length and all that good stuff. And just kind of the change of direction being average to, to solid. But I think that there's more to that. And I, I would be willing to draft Kair Elam in the late first round, maybe mid first round. Like I would think about it. Cause I think that his film is really good out of Florida, but I think that there is a world where he could slide just based upon what I'm hearing. It seems like people are just value him more early in that second round conversation. So if he's there at 42, if I mean, if if they obviously valued defensively, and you said they're going to stick to similarly what Fangio kind of liked, if they liked the Patrick Sertan Jr. in that off in that front office, I imagine that they'll also like Kyrie Elam because I think stylistically they're kind of similar. Good to know. I will definitely make a note of that. Uh, I I want to touch on this too. This isn't necessarily a position specific, but am I crazy in thinking like this class outside of like the very top guys? it seems a lot more unsettled than previous years. I know uh, people have kind of started to float. Like I know the quarterback classes has come up a lot, but to me, yeah. it seems almost like there's guys that like I could see go in the first round, but they might actually be there all the way to almost the end of the second, because like that grouping between like 20 and 60 seems like really close. Um, yeah. And I know the athletic testing will be a big part of this medical stuff like that. But right now on this side of it, like, like you mentioned McCreary, you mentioned Elam. I know like the defensive line class looks like that as well. Like there's a lot of guys that's like, you could see Devonte Wyatt sneak, sneak into the end of the first round, but I could also see the Broncos end up with him in the second round. Yeah, no. And I, I think that there's a lot of validity to it. And I, I would agree. The biggest point is everyone says like, 
you know, why would you test at the combine? Does it matter? And like, there's sides to both conversations on that one, right? The argument. But this year, I think it really matters. I really do because I don't think there's a ton of separation. I, every uh, every person I've been on in the radio the last couple of weeks to talk about like what positions are important for this year specifically, like uh, especially like a defensive end edge, like you're talking about, like a cornerback, like a wide receiver. I feel like so those those tiers are so packed together with guys, right? Like there's not a ton of separation that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to look at, like let's take a George Karloftis and a Jermaine Johnson, for instance, in the edge group, right? Like teams are going to look at those guys and have similar grades and they're just going to defer to who's the better athlete. And they do that usually to a degree anyway. But I think that this year more than anything, we have a lot of volume. Not a lot of top – it's not very top-heavy. So you have like these middle tiers where you're just like – there's like five or six guys – that are probably going to be bunched together with like similar grades, like early seconds, mid seconds, whatever it is. And it's going to be like a coin flip. And what's that coin flip? Why are you flipping the coin? Because you're opting for the guy that's a better tester. So I think that testing is absolutely huge for this year's class. And I agree completely. There is, this is not a top heavy first round. I think I have 15 first round grades. That's all I'm going to have. And that's a lower total for me. Usually I usually I'm around like 20 to 23 somewhere in that ballpark. So like I am substantially lower. But I think, and I, I don't have the number for me, but like I am probably going to have the most day two grades I've ever had. Second, third rounds. Like there's a ton of guys in that classification. So I feel like you're going to get some guys third, fourth round that might have a second round grade in my scale at least. You know, maybe comparative to NFL teams might be similar as well. But I think that that's the tiebreaker this year is, is what they're testing on. And I feel like some guys are maybe missing the mark a little bit because like I don't judge if like a guy wants to test, he you know, he doesn't want to test, whatever it is. That's his personal reasons, especially if there's an injury. Like that's cool, man. But like if they're opting out just because they don't think they have to and they're not a big separation, like Evan Neal to a degree, I'm like, cool, I don't really need to see you. You're probably you might be the first offensive tackle off the board. That's fine. But guys like Andrew Booth, who I don't know if that's injury related, but like he had an opportunity to separate himself from the tier, in my opinion, this week. Other guys, I think, had the opportunity to separate themselves. And if it's not injury related, I think some guys may have been, I think that some guys may have been led the wrong direction on that one. Because I really do think that this one this year, a lot of tiebreakers are going to be based upon athletic testing and pro day numbers. You have to take with a grain of salt. Like it's not, it's definitely not the gospel because everybody sees kind of the, the fudging of those numbers every single year. So I think that testing is going to be huge this year, maybe bigger than it has in most years, to be honest with you. Well, and I think that that, again, not to derail our conversation, but I think that that's interesting too, because a lot of prospects, and again, I don't blame anybody for doing what they think is the right thing, but a lot of prospects seem to skip the combine or skip certain workouts because they know that they will not test well at the combine versus their pro day. But at the same time, NFL teams know that. So right. I understand doing it, but I also think like you're not necessarily helping yourself because you might as well get both numbers out there because NFL teams care about the better one anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And and I mean, at the end of the day, I'm talking more about, you know, the guys that I think would have tested well that I think could have separated yeah, that yeah. way. Like if, if you're if you're gonna be a bad tester, like, okay, that's fine, delay it as much as you can. You know what I mean? But yeah. like if you, if you have a chance to separate yourself from a group, I, I just don't understand the mindset in this class specifically to not take that opportunity. Cause I think that that's just where the separation is going to happen this year. So, and I, I mean, again, it's everybody's prerogative. It's not my decision. It's not my life. It's not my money. So like you can do whatever you want. I just, I think that testing is going to be a big point of emphasis with how packed this class is this year. Definitely. 
defensive tackle is one of those groups that looks like it's pretty packed uh, to me. Uh, I do think, and again, I, I've only watched certain players from this class. So tell me, you know, where you land on this. Uh, but the Broncos, it's a sneaky need for the Broncos. I think fans are kind of overlooking because Draymond Jones and Shelby Harris almost look certain to be playing about 60-ish percent of snaps again next year. They they did last year. Beyond that, though, you have 40% of the snaps that are, maybe they're going to McTelvin Ajim, who was taken two years ago and basically hasn't played. Uh, Mike Purcell has missed almost half the games that he could have played over the last two years. Might be a cap casualty. Uh, and the Broncos run defense, basically after Alexander Johnson got hurt, I think people kind of overlook how big of an impact that really had. Uh, and a big part of that is because the defensive line wasn't ever great. There, There's some pass rushers, but in terms of run defense, Alexander Johnson was a key member of it. Uh, they could probably use a big body. I know if McTelvin Ajim is like kind of like falling out of favor with the new coaching staff, they could also potentially use a pass rusher. I've watched Wyatt. I've watched a little bit of Jones. I've watched a decent bit of Jordan Davis at this point. There's obviously other guys out there, but where do you land on this class in terms of like, if you're looking for a pass rusher, uh, like a three technique or like a, you know, a five technique slash three technique and sub after Wyatt, are there any guys that really like jump out to you that might be intriguing? Um, I don't think it's the greatest class in that regard, to be honest with you. But I think okay. if, I mean, if you project to Marvin Leal from Texas A&M to be that player, which I, I think he is that player. And I think he can be that player. That's a guy that like pops off the screen to me is like that penetration style three tech. He can play five. He's he was he did it at Texas A&M. Now he's a little bit of a weird guy because he played a lot. I mean, he played all the way out to nine at some points in that system, despite being 290 pounds. But I think that he has the highest upside of the interior class, in my opinion. And I think that he fits kind of that style. Perry and Winfrey from Oklahoma is a guy that a lot of people are starting to like. I am a little hesitant on him just because I, I see the first step. I see the athleticism. It's all there. But then, like, against the run, he's he's really rough right now. And, I mean, he can give you snaps, though, I think, in sub early on as, as a designated type of in, interior pass rusher. But, like, I don't I don't know. I, I'm just missing it with him a little bit, especially because people are talking about him, like, being top 40 35 type of player at this point. I'm just like, I, I don't see that one, but I mean, there's, there's guys for sure. I think Thomas Booker is a guy from Stanford that I think is super underrated. Um, I think he came to Stanford originally as a defensive end recruit and he's kind of gotten bigger and bigger. Now he's a shade over six foot three, 310 pounds. And he still has that first step. Like that first step is still good. He's got length to him. He's played. I mean, cause Stanford plays an odd front. So he's played three, he's played four, four eyes played out to a five. He can, he can do all, a little bit of everything. And I think that Stanford actually held back a little bit of his production at times because they're asking him to two gap a ton when I think that his first step is plus, like it's quality first step. So I think that he's a guy that can really cause some havoc in the backfield and a guy that you might get a bargain for because I, I don't think that he's a guy that's going to go as early as his talent would would project just because his production wasn't what I think that it could have been in college. So he's a guy, though, that I think kind of fits that that style um, if I if I had to point at anybody else, I would I guess Logan Hall would be a fit in that scheme like that you're talking about a little bit because he's obviously a guy for Houston that played a little bit of everything. He played three all the way out to to a nine at points, but he's more of that five tech. Like he's got that length to him, six foot five plus, near six six, two hundred seventy eight pounds. So like he's a little light right now. Yeah, but he does have some redeemable traits as far as 
His, he's a very slippery rusher. He's got first step quickness. He's the ability to get skinny in the hole, and he's got the penetration style to him. So I think that he can develop into that. And if you're talking about him specifically being a pass rush specialist early on, I think that he has upside to that, and he could develop into that that big end type of Malik Jackson early on in his Denver career, right? Like he came to te- out of Tennessee, obviously a defensive end. And then he eventually grew into like more of that three tech mold yep. during his Denver career. And then into Philadelphia, I, f- I feel like his tra- uh, trajectory for Logan Hall could be similar, but I just wouldn't expect him to play a ton of high volume snaps, but certainly I think he can give you stuff on third downs and passing situations. What I have to ask just because we talked to edge and we talked a little bit of defensive line. Where do you see Trayvon Walker? Uh, I've watched his tape. Um, he's weird. Yeah. Uh, I like he's him. Weird. I like yeah. him, but, but I, I feel like the projection for him is all over the board. And I also yeah. understand exactly why the projection is all over the board because I, I, I'm actually really, I'm curious to see how he weighs in just because I feel like his best position based on what his tape looks like is like a five technique and then a sub rusher. Yeah. Uh, but the money's outside and I wouldn't be surprised if he comes to the combine and he is 270, 265. yeah, 265, yeah. 270. So he can run better. Yeah. And again, I don't yeah. blame him at all. Uh, but I don't, I don't see the bend to be a reliable outside rusher that you really want to be rushing from out wide. Um, I think he yeah. could do it in spots, but I don't think you want him to, especially in the Broncos system. I don't think that would make sense at all. Yeah. Now he's, for me, I see him very similarly to you. I think five, four, four, I like playing in an odd front, honestly, would be best for him in my yeah, opinion. Agreed. I think that you can, you can move him around a little bit and he has that sub um, ability. He's definitely not a true outside guy. Like he can win with hand strength and just his ability to kind of, you know, to, to reduce angles. Cause he's not a bendy guy, right? Like he needs to kind of, he really needs to, make angles shallower like he's not a guy that's a wide rusher that's just not him but inside counters the ability to work speed the power like all that stuff is there and then i mean honestly he's a special athlete in terms of closing speed for his size like he is just ridiculous how much ground he can cover but i think he would be better off to that thought process let's get up to 285 let's get up to 290 like you can move that weight and you can still do the freaky things that you do because your game is not predicated on flexibility. Your game is predicated on power and explosiveness, and you can keep that. Like you're not going to get too stiff to play the role that I think you're best at. But I, I agree. I think that he's going to show up at the combine two sixty five, two seventy, and he's go- it's like the Rashawn Gary thing, right? Yep. Rashawn Gary is the exactly. So like cool, good, good for him because he's going to make a lot more money. Like you kind of mentioned, you know, a little bit earlier. But I still think that Rashawn Gary, if he would have just Packed on the weight, man. He would have been an absolute weapon in that five tech, four, four eye type of That's role, even working down to a three. Like I feel like they stylistically are a little similar, but I also think that Trayvon Walker's gonna kind of take the same. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. They, you know, the same uh, journey that, um, that, 
Rashawn Gary took where Rashawn showed up and he was like 270 or whatever he was and he was super sleek and he tested out of this world and he went top 15. Like that's just what I kind of see for for Walker, but I really would love to see him in that odd front playing four, four eyes down to a three, five, like playing all over the place. Cause I think that that's where his game translates best, but I imagine that he's going to do his best to stay on the edge in the NFL full time. I do too. And again, selfishly, I'm a little bummed just because I think develop, he could develop into a game wrecker as like an interior rusher. Uh, and I'm a little bit more dubious about his projection outside. And again, for the Broncos, I don't necessarily think he's a scheme fit if that's what he's doing. Uh, which is a bummer just because I did like his tape quite a bit. Um, in terms of nose tackles, I, I want to touch on, you know, the two big names just because they're the kind of the big names. I think after that, nose tackles generally, you're taking them late and hoping that you're getting a guy who can play two gap, play in base personnel, play a one, you know, a zero is basically what you're trying yeah. to do. You don't necessarily need to take that guy high and you can usually find that guy in free agency. Um, the guys that tend to go high, there are nose tackle types. And again, Tell me if I, you know, if I'm crazy here, are the guys who offer something as a pass rusher and their nose tackle types. Jordan Davis is the big name. Um, even though I know he's played very limited snaps at Georgia, when he plays, he is a force against the run. I, I, I have seen him move SEC defenders into the track of the running back <laughs> to impede the run, and that, and it's fun to watch. Uh, I'm definitely worried about taking him high just because I don't. I, I see a I see a similar argument for like the Derek Brown conundrum in terms of mm. I see a pocket pusher. I don't necessarily see a guy who's going to be disruptive. And again, I'm you know, I might be way wrong. Um, and then Travis Jones, though, I, th- I think Travis Jones isn't necessarily quite the same run defender, but I think Travis Jones right. offers a little bit more burst in terms. And again, he's also playing as lower level of competition generally. But what I've seen, he does seem to hint at a little bit more of an oomph against the pass, but you're sacrificing yeah. a little bit for the run. Um, where do you land on him? Yeah, no, it's, it's great. Uh, it's a great question. And I think that Jordan Davis, he doesn't play a high enough volume of snaps for me to be comfortable taking him high. Like it just, it just doesn't, I mean, I think it was like 40% is the most he's ever played in his career in a season. It's just like, and I think it's 25. If you account for every single season, it's just like, that's not enough to draft the guy high. Like it's just not, even if he's the best run defender, which he's, I mean, he is one of the best run defending defensive tackles I've ever evaluated. There's no doubt. I mean, the physicality, the length that he plays with the, just the sheer brute strength. It's, it, he reminds me a lot of John Henderson that played for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like I see parallels there. I do think though that John had a little more upside as a pass rusher. And I, I, I'm just struggling a little bit to see with it from Jordan Davis. Travis Jones, I think is a really interesting player. Cause I see, I see ability against the pass that I just don't see with Jordan. So if you're giving me the option that I can get him on the second round versus getting Jordan Davis the first round, I'm taking Travis Jones just because I think that the upside as a three down potential player is a lot higher. Like I think that you can leave Travis Jones in on passing downs and he can, he can do it for you. You know what I mean? So I really like Travis Jones a lot. I would draft him early second round. I would think about it late first, depending on what team I am. Like I, I, I would consider it because I think that he's a really, really good football player. And he reminds me a little bit of Akeem Hicks. And Akeem Hicks has been a really, really good football player. And he plays nose. He's played nose, obviously, with the time with the Saints and with the Bears. But he has a little more penetration ability than you would think. Like he'll sneak up on you, get like seven, eight sacks in a season. You're like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know he had that many this season. You know what I mean? So. Yep. I see that with Travis Jones and, but I, I think though, 
to, you know, kind of the overarching class of, of nose tackles this year, there's a lot of guys you can get a little later in the draft. And there's a lot of guys that may even be PFAs, like Taylor Humphrey from Louisiana Lafayette's a guy that might be a UDFA type of player, maybe late round. Marquand McCall from Kentucky's a guy that could be could be that dude. So there's guys that I think you don't have to really reach for that position because it's just not as valuable as it once was. But, I mean, I would not argue against anybody taking a guy like a Travis Jones because I think he could be a special player in that role. It's just where do you value that role is kind of the question mark for me. Well, and that's really my big problem when I was watching Davis is, like, I love watching him. And like you said, he's one of the best run defenders. I I can rem- I, I can't remember a player doing what he did against the run at Georgia. But would I want to take the 100th percentile run defender who doesn't necessarily offer anything against the pass when I can get a 70th percentile run defender in the late rounds instead of using, and and again, it's, it's almost a similar argument to like this quarterback class is like the opportunity cost is what really gets me with some of them. It's just, I I don't, I like Davis. I don't want to take him in the first round as at least in the top 20, just because the Broncos have so many needs at positions that are hard to find. Right. Uh, Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I I agree completely with you. And, And I, again, I just don't think that that position is, incredibly valuable with what it is right now. Like it's just not what it used to be. Like you could draft a John Henderson in the first round, you know, coming out of Tennessee when Jacksonville drafted him because it was the early two thousands and it still mattered. Like it's just does not matter as much anymore. I mean, we just saw the LA Rams who play an odd front a ton win a Super Bowl with Greg Gaines day three pick and Sebastian Joseph day play nose tackle. Who's an UDFA like those, that's where you find that value. You can still find good players in that role anywhere. And I just, I don't think that you stress yourself or stretch yourself too thin early in the class to take that guy. When I think that there are just players that are going to be available that give you similar things, maybe not quite as dominant, but similar in the ballpark where it's not a hindrance to you. Agreed. So one other position, I'm glad you mentioned that though, with, in terms of like value today versus 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, one of the ones that jumps out to my mind, and again, it, it may not even be a factor because the Broncos are reportedly interested in Melvin Gordon uh, in returning, you know, him returning. But if they do not bring Melvin Gordon back, the Broncos have Javante Williams. So obviously they have like their lead back in place. They have Mike Boone under contract for another year, even though he was hurt for a big chunk of last year, but he's, probably an RB two RB three type who can contribute to special teams. But the Vikings spent a good bit of capital on running backs. And the fact that the Broncos are considering Melvin Gordon when he has 1500 carries on the odometer suggests to me that they are going to prioritize having another person in the backfield. Again, running a Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan type outside zone. They run a lot of inside zone duo. Are there running backs that kind of jump out to you who would make sense as like an RB two or maybe even an RB three, you know, depth developmental type guy standpoint? Yeah. Yeah. I I think um, we saw him at the senior bowl a little bit. I think Rashad white from Arizona state's a guy that makes a ton of sense. He's a little bit of a bigger back six foot plus 210 usually is what he played. I think he came in a little lower at the senior bowl, obviously to show his, his game in the passing game, you know, to run routes and do all that type of stuff. But he's, for me, he's a one cut and go type of runner. So yeah. like that wide zone really fits that style, right? Like he wants to set up his box. He wants to hit, he wants to get vertical Tyler Algier, although he's not the speediest back of all time out of BYU, I think fits similarly to that system, right? Like he's a guy that's definitely patient, patient, patient burst. We're going to hit, hit a home run type of player. And I don't think that you have to spend, 
high capital on those types of players. Like that might be a third round pick, maybe a fourth round pick, depending on who you're talking to at, at that spot. And I think a guy that maybe doesn't fit quite as well into the system, but I really like as a, I, I think he could be the James Robinson, Elijah Mitchell this year. I like Keontae Ingram out of USC a ton. He was okay. very good at Texas and in limited snaps. And then, but he had issues with fumbling at some points, durability. Like there was just stuff and his Texas career did not end the way I thought it could have. Like going into his junior year, I was like, this kid could be a top five running back in the 20, I guess, 2021 NFL draft. Like I thought he could have been, and he just did not have the season. He ends up transferring to USC as a, I mean, quietly a very good year. Averages, I think like six yards a carry near a thousand yards for a bad USC team that just does not have a good offensive line. And he is incredibly explosive, 225 pounds. He was like a 46-plus triple jumper coming out of high school, track and field. Like, this kid is explosive. I think that he's – I don't know if he's testing right now, but, like, I'm actually tomorrow is the running back. So, tomorrow he'll be testing um, on Friday, and he is an explosive runner. And then he went to the the Shrine Bowl, and he was, I mean, killing guys in passing – running passing routes. Like, he was just destroying dudes. Showed incredible flexibility as 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 a route runner. So I think there's a little bit of upside there in the passing game as well. And, and I think he has plus ability as a pass blocker as well. So he's that guy that like, I think that a team's going to get him in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, somewhere in that ballpark. And they're going to be like, wow, got to Oregon almost ran for a thousand yards. You know, if, if there's an injury to the backfield, I know obviously we're talking specifically about Denver. So like probably not in that situation with, with Javonta Williams. That's, I mean, I love Javonta Williams kind of using C. So like, unless there's an injury, that situation's not going to be the same, but like I feel like for a team that drafts Ingram, they are going to get a lot more in the return than what they gave to get, get him. Because I just think that there's so much untapped talent. His thing has just always been, are you going to be available? Is it going to be durability, durability concerns? But if you're drafting a guy in the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, you take that gamble because you're not heavily invested in the running back position at that point. Like you're just taking a gamble on a guy, and I think that he is worth that type of value. Good to know. Linebacker is another one. Broncos are interested in returning or uh, retaining Josie Jewell. They have this weird situation where they have three unrestricted free agents. So I think if Josie Jewell's price gets too much, they will bring back either Kenny Young or Alexander Johnson if they can. Uh, that said, until we know that deal, it kind of the, the door is open for them to potentially sign Josie Jewell or one of those guys for a short term deal and then draft a replacement right away. Uh, this linebacker class is like. Broncos fans will hate to hear me say this. I feel like it's a trap. Uh, Devin Lloyd at the top, obviously not to say he's bad. I'm just ardently opposed to drafting linebackers in the first round. I feel like it's like a running back thing. Um, You can, you can find linebackers that are comparable throughout the draft. Teams have proven that time and again. So it's like, unless you're getting a Micah Parsons type or unless you're getting like Rokon Smith, who's just like next level in terms of his ability to play (laughs) coverage and everything else. To me, it makes more sense to take a day two or a day three guy. Uh, George Payton seemed to agree when they were with the Vikings, at least. Uh, The Vikings only ever took, they took, I want to say 13 linebackers between 2007 and 2020 when he left. Uh, Only Mm -hmm. two of them were first round guys. And it was Eric Kendricks or top 50 guys, Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr. And they, they both fit the mold of like exceptions to the rule. Uh, are there like day two, day three kind of guys who might make sense for like a Fangio type of defense, uh, light boxes, you know, gap and a half. I know you, you probably know this, but for our listeners, um, yeah. yeah, Who jumps out to you? I I kind of have, I'm intrigued by this class. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued by it too, to be honest. I think there's a lot of depth actually, which is surprising because last year, like I did not love the class too much. You know what I mean? So yep. this year I'm, I'm excited because like I, I feel like I am – I'm okay with Devin Lloyd in the first rounds um, to a degree. I'm not okay with Nicobe Dean in the first round. I think that he's a really good player, but like just a little too much for me. Like I'm not, I'm not drafting that guy in the first round in my opinion, but like second round, third rounds moving forward. Like, I think there's a lot of really nice athletes on the second level. I know that he's not maybe the prototype, but like, I love Terrell Bernard out of Baylor, man. He, I know he's smaller, so he's probably not going to fit as well, but like, the dude can just play. And I talked to him before and he was like, you know, I, I love Fred Warner. That's who I marry my game after a little bit. And he's got kind of that upside and pass coverage, not going to have the greatest length in the world, but like, man, the kid just has a great instinct on the second level. But I, I think that if you're talking about the athletes on the second level that have a little more length, which obviously every team wants, like no matter what system you want, you want length and athleticism on the second level in theory, I think Chad Muma from Wyoming is the guy that we saw at the Senior Bowl. He's six foot two plus, 242. I think he can run. I imagine he's going to run somewhere in the four sixes, and he's going to be a really nice athlete. And he's done a lot of things in pursuit at, at Wyoming, and you see him kind of work, you know, backside hash all the way to the opposite sideline. And it's like, oh, okay, you can, you can run a little bit. So I think he's a plus athlete. If there's a guy, though, that I am just so excited about in this class and there's a lot of them because like i think channing tyndall has a lot of things that you, you could work with from georgia although he was more of a backup role i think i think damone clark from lsu was probably one of the more improved players at linebacker in the 2022 class comparative to where he was but man i really like troy anderson from montana state like i really do he has a fascinating backstory of course he was a quarterback early in his career was an all-conference quarterback i think he has the Montana state record with 21 rushing touchdowns in a season, if I remember that correctly. So he played like quarterback running back early in his career. And they're like, okay, we're going to move you to linebacker. And he's right around six foot four, 230 plus pounds. And the kid can run. He was like a 10, 800 meter guy in high school. Like he is going to run four fives easy at 230 plus pounds. He can move. He's been asked um, as a junior in 2020 or 2020, he was used more as in a 3-4 system as like that big Sam outside linebacker. So he's playing in space a ton. He's playing on ball a little bit, you know, kind of doing things off the edge, off the slot, which isn't inc incredibly translatable to play on the next level. But this year in 2021, they put him in much more of a stacked position where he is just working in pursuit and he's kind of showing those athletic chops. And I thought the diagnostic skills took a big step forward comparative to where it was in 2020. I think it's only getting better. And the kid's a special athlete on the second level, man. Like he's going to be one of the better testers at the combine. And I think that he's going to, he's going to be a fascinating player because I, I don't think that he's going to play a ton during the 2022 season, but I think he's definitely a starter down the road because I just think that he's got the physicality, he's got the traits and he's improving from a diagnostic inst instinctual type of perspective as well. Good to know. Uh, he's, I think it says something about you. If you have a record for your school and you still switch positions that, that, that like, I did for not sure. realize he had that, but that, and I actually spent some time in Montana. So I, I will definitely have to check him out. Uh, I've seen his name show up quite a bit. I know out of the senior bowl. Um, yeah, I just have to get Montana state tape. Uh, <laughs> safety is weird as well. I know that again, all three of these last positions were kind of weird, but Kareem Jackson's contract ran out. He's probably aged out at this point. I don't think the Broncos are going to retain him. Uh, the mm -hmm. Broncos did draft two safeties last year in the fifth round. Caden Stearns 
looks like he's in line to get a first run at the starting job in the new defense. Jamar Johnson did not play very much last year, but he did show, you know, coming out of Indiana, he had promising traits in terms of decent athlete, very good instincts. Uh, I kind of thought he was kind of an interesting fit for the Fangio defense just because the big question with Jamar Johnson was physicality. Uh, and Fangio asks his safeties to run the alley and the new defense probably will as well. So I am curious how that works, which is kind of why I do think safety might actually be a surprise pick this year. Uh, Kyle Hamilton's the name everybody knows. (laughs) Sure. There's obviously other safeties in this class. Uh, could, could, could you kind of like fill me in on like, if you were playing out of a too high system and not Mm -hmm. necessarily looking to take a guy in the first round, uh, who kind of jumps out to you is like potentially developmental starters. Yeah, I, I think that if we're talking about the second round type of range, I think a Lewis scene from George is a guy that is really interesting and could be there potentially. Although I think he's going to test just, I watched one of his games. And I'm just like, this kid's going to run four, four low. Like this is a four, four, one athlete at this size. And he's a hitman dude. Like he will come up and he will smoke you. Now, I don't think that his range on the back end is the greatest in the world, so that's why I kind of think too high. Like, he's never going to be a guy that's going to be a true center fielder type, but, like, he can play split zone. Like, there's no doubt about that. He can come down and he hits, like, a ton of bricks. So, Lewis seems a guy, I think, in the second round that makes a ton of sense. I think that I'm probably a little bigger of a fan than than uh, Jaquan Brisker than most people are. I Again, another guy in the summer wasn't a huge fan of. Like, I was like – all right. I like, I could see athletic traits, but then like this year, I thought he was just so much better. I was just instinctually much better. And then he always had the athletic traits to kind of work with. And he's another guy that heavy rotation. I think that he can rotate to middle of the field at times, but like you want him more working, you know, split field and then working down into the box and maybe playing some man coverage, doing that type of thing. So Brusker is a really interesting player. Um, if there was one guy that maybe is a little, I don't want to say under the radar as much, but Nick Cross from Maryland's a guy that I really was pleasantly surprised for, for the last couple of days of guys that I've watched. I think I gave him an early three when uh, I was kind of surprised about that because I had heard, you know, he's not a great player in the run game and he's just got kind of some lack of physicality to his game. And while I agree that the tackling needs to get better and the run support needs to get better, one of the more rangy players in this class, man, like he covers a crazy amount of ground. I think that he can play in a too high system. Obviously I think that he could be a guy again, if you're a too high, that's rotating a ton and he gets in the middle of the field. I think he could do that in spades. Cause he's a kid that actually was on the Maryland track team early in his career. This, cool. I mean, I'm, I'm calling call my shot here. Six, one, two, ten, somewhere in that ballpark. He's going to run the four fours easy. He's going to have a 40 plus inch vert. And he's going to have like an 11 foot broad. Like it's going to be some silly, silly, silly athletic testing numbers. So he would be a guy that might go higher than maybe like the third round grade that I gave him. But I think that there's special traits in the back end as, as far as um, coverage, uh, coverage ability is. And then a guy that I think is going to go a little later than maybe some people anticipate is I think for I, I like Verone McKinley from Oregon. I think that he has good ball skills. I think he's incredibly instinctual. He reminds me of Rodney McLeod that's played with the Eagles now for a while and played with the Rams. Like, I I don't think that he's a great athlete. I think he's solid all the way around, but I don't think he's special, which is why I think too high is a much better spot for him. But I think he could develop into a starter because, I mean, diagnostically speaking, like he is always around the football. Like there is just an, an innate ability for him to make plays. But I think that he's going to be a guy this week that's, 
are going to be like 5'10", 5'11", 195 pounds. He's going to run like 4'5", high, 4'6". Like, I just don't see a great athlete on film. But in a too-high system, I think that he's serviceable enough in that regard. And I think that he's just he's just one of those guys that's just going to make some plays because he just seems to be in the right spot at all times. Good you know? Outside of those positions, uh, are there any guys that really kind of excite you that you just think Broncos country needs to kind of be involved with or like not involved with that you just think Broncos country needs to be aware of? Because like George Payton, when he was with the Vikings, the Vikings take a lot of receivers. But when you look Mm -hmm. at the Broncos roster right now, receivers obviously doesn't look like a need. They have a big four. Uh, When you look at tight end, at least right now, it doesn't look like tight end is a huge need because they have Noah Fant and Albert O, but they might not pick up Noah Fant's fifth year option. You know, who knows? I mentioned the interior already. It would make sense to potentially grab a center or like a guy who could potentially play center to maybe push Lloyd Cushenberry. We don't know though. Um, same with boundary corner. Like it's one of those things. Like, I think you could always use depth at these spots, but as of now, they don't look like obvious needs, but it, right. Yeah. But who jumps out at you? Who are some of your guys in this class? Yeah. I, I think one that pops into my head immediately is I I'm a fan of Nick Ford from Utah that you were talking about interior offense lineman a little bit. Yeah. He's played literally Joe. He started at right tackle, left tackle, left guard, right guard center. He's started all five positions. I love those guys. Utah. Yeah, man. And he, he really settled in the center though. And I think center is his best fit long-term, but like, he's going to be a big center. He's going to be six, four plus 315 pounds. He's going to have you know decently long arms, like probably 33 plus. So it's not obviously not tackle caliber, but like he is a guy though, that I think you're going to get a little bit of a bargain on maybe third, fourth rounds. And he could be a guy early on. If he's not a starter that could back up multiple positions, which is ever valuable, right? Like obviously if you're drafting a guy in the first round, that's going to be a starter day one, that swing stuff doesn't matter as much. But like when you're drafting a guy, that's going to be a backup, you need, you can save a roster spot potentially with that type of uh, situation. So I think he's really intriguing to say the least. Um, A guy that I think is a little bit undervalued right now, but I think he's a good football player because he came out as a redshirt junior, I believe. So he was not eligible. I think he was eligible, but he didn't. I don't think, you know, he even got the senior bowl invite, but interesting player. And I think, like I mentioned with Kenyon Green before, I mean, if he's there at 42 and if he didn't draft an offensive tackle in the first round, would the Broncos be interested in a Darian Kennard from Kentucky? Because I don't know if he's a true right tackle on the next level, but he started a ton, obviously at Kentucky and the sec has good film for the most part. But like, I think he might be in a, I kind of compare him a little bit to um, Kelechio Semele that used oh, to play. Nice. Um, yeah. Who was a really good player, man. But yeah. like when you watch him at Iowa state, he was an offensive tackle, but like, eh, could you really play? Like you probably could play tackle, yeah. but like in guard, you're just like such much more of a dominant player. So like, let's get him inside and let's let him do what he does best. And that's win in tight spaces. So that's a guy that like I think makes a lot of sense. And then my probably my favorite player in the draft, and this is probably just not from a um, this is definitely not from a Denver Broncos perspective as much, but I love Leo Chanel from Wisconsin. Oh, man. I did too. I'm, yeah, I watched him. I man. I don't know if I necessarily think he's a like, I think there's enough overlap with Baron Browning's strengths that I don't think that the Broncos will take him, but I am glad I watched him because it was fun. Yeah. Just yes. the strength, the, the the violence he plays with and the strength. It's just, it pops off the tape. Yeah, no, and he, for me, let me phrase this correctly. I think that he's a top 25 player in this class, regardless of positional value. Now, he's never going to go top 25 anymore, but like 
five, 10 years ago, well, 10 years ago, we'll say, guys a like top 20 pick. Like there's no yep. doubt about it. Like slam dunk. It's just the position just isn't, I mean, cause he's, he, I think he could be a zone dropper and I think that he can play some man against some tight ends, but like, he's not going to be a guy that's ever going to be a plus player in, in, in coverage, right? Like that's just not going to be his bag, but the best blitzer in the class, in my opinion, in my opinion, the yeah. dude just has rare closing speed for 255, 260 pounds and incredibly physical knows how to stack at the point of attack. He's going to be a great run defending linebacker at the next level. And I think he could be a high level linebacker. Cause I think that there's some system that he's going to like, he screams for me, like he's going to be drafted in the second round by the new England Patriots. Yep. And he's yep. going to be one of the best linebackers in the NFL. And we're going to ask, how gonna... did Bill Belichick get him? And then we'll right. look back at the scouting report and be like, Oh, but then he's going to, he'll be a high tower type. I think like I could see exactly. that. I could definitely see that in that kind of system. Yeah. And I think he could be even a better player than Hightower. Cause I think he's a, just a better athlete than Hightower is. Now Hightower is obviously very instinctual and very versatile, but like, I think that Chanel can do all those things. And I think he's a better athlete. I mean, he was on Feldman's freak list with like a four second flat short shuttle. So like he can move a little bit now. I didn't know he's that. Just, That's surprising. He, yeah. He, That's, and he's That's really good. And he's going to bench like 40 reps apparently too. And he's a great guy too, by the way. Um, we had him on the podcast before. So I'm excited about him because I think that if he fits in the right situation, I can see him being one of the better linebackers in the NFL for what he does. Now, again, the upside isn't there in the passing game as much. So like, are you ever going, are you going to drive that kid in the first round? Probably not. But like, just like without positional value into effect, without knowing what team I'm scouting for, I think he might be a top 25 best player I've watched in the class as far as like what he does specifically in his game. Cause like the dude is just dominant in the run game. Like I love watching Leo Chanel, man. He's just a blast to watch. So then again, I know I'm keeping you before I let you go though. I have to ask who, and again, not to you, you talk to a lot of prospects. I don't want you to, you know, have to bash anybody. So don't, don't let me sure. get in trouble. Yeah. But who strikes you as like, realistic picks at nine who would be a terrible pick at nine. <laughs> terrible. Okay. Because the first um, one that I've been, th- and again, this is one of the, I know I do this on Twitter and I'm sure you, mm-hmm. I go on, like I get stuck on a thought and I just keep like, Kenny Pickett right now. Kenny mm-hmm. Pickett fits the mold of what the Broncos seemingly are looking for at quarterback. They want intelligence, accuracy, and uh, toughness. I get, I can see those traits with Kenny Pickett. But also, he does everything. He's Teddy Bridgewater. He's te- he's he. And again, forgive me. He's white Teddy Bridgewater on a rookie contract is what I see. Um, and he has historically small hands. So, like to me, if they're gonna take that guy in the second round, I'm not gonna like it, but I can understand it. If they take that guy at nine, I'm going to have to go grab a bucket to throw up. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, a couple guys that pop off my head is is we talked about a, a couple of them already, but yeah. like Trevon Walker at nine, I just would be very eh with like I just would not love it to be honest. Like, because I, I think that he fits a different style than what right. the Broncos need. Um, so like I would just look at that and just be like. I don't really get that. And I talked about Bernard Raymond. Like if Bernard Raymond goes top 10, man, if he goes to nine, cause you just want to reach for the, whoever the fourth offensive tackle is off the board. Like that would just be such a bad pick, man. Because I, I don't even hot take. Here's the hot take. I know I mentioned before, like I would be okay with him being drafted on day two somewhere. And I would in a vacuum, but like, I don't know if I would draft him in the first three rounds. I just don't know if I would, man. Like I just don't see it with Bernard Raymond. So like, that's a big guy for me. I'm just like, 
No thanks. And then I mentioned him again, and I think that he's a really good player if you get him in the second round. But Roger McCreary at nine, which some people really like, like Roger McCreary, first round pick. No, thank you. No, thank you. Sub 30 inch arms. And again, I know people are going to be like, oh, who cares about arm length? I do. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I, it just is what it is. Like sub 30 inch arms. It's like the outlier thing we talked about before. Show me the list. Show me the list of guys that have been able to do it. It's nothing against Roger McCreary, but I just think there's limitations. And historically speaking, he is the ultimate outlier if he's successful, especially at the ninth overall selection, if that ever happens. I think that's fair. I, and again, I, I I don't think it it's people people take a lot of draft analysts and like try and turn this into you like you hate Roger McCreary. And it's like, no, like one of the things like this season and this, I, you know, I do this for like two months because the rest of the year I'm like actually watching the Broncos a lot. But like during draft season, what you try and do is you try and take off your fan hat you essentially like you get objective. Like if I'm a GM, if I'm a talent evaluator, how do I see this player's projection? It's not personal. It's like, literally you look at the benchmark numbers and you say, there are three corners who did this with sub 30 inch arms or, you know, whatever number. Am I betting on this guy being the fourth? And right. I'm not the kind of, I, I don't gamble generally because mm-hmm. I, I feel like the house always wins. And it's a similar idea here. Like, you don't bet on historical outliers in hopes that you're outsmarting everybody else. Like that's what Josh McDaniels did when he was with the Broncos and he drafted Tim Tebow in the first round. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, oh man. It's just, ah, oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, ah, uh, it's cause I, I think people just are just so caught up with like, these guys are investing millions of dollars in these players, right? So it's like you're investing because I, I just keep coming back to Kenny Pickett. I, I know it's just going to keep happening, but like, <laughs> hey, you're yeah, in a safe space here for Kenny Pickett. I know, man. It's just, oh man, it's just you're going to draft that it. guy top ten. Like, you're going to draft it. him top ten. I don't. I don't. I. And again, I. He's a. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm. You know, and kudos to him. Like, started at Pitt forever took them to one of their best seasons ever was a Heisman finalist. Like I'm not saying he's a bad player, but like when you look at his tape and you try and project, how is he going into the NFL and how is he going to succeed? I think absolute Mm -hmm. ceiling for him. He is, and this is absolute ceiling league average starter. And and I don't want to take that guy at 10. I don't want to take that guy at nine. I, you know, I don't want to, honestly, I don't want to take, um, if I have better options at quarterback, I don't want to take that quarterback in the first round. And honestly, that's my biggest problem with this quarterback class in general is you just, mm-hmm. the risk versus the upside versus the cost is just not there. And right. for me, it's just like, if, if those are three things are working against you, figure out a way to punt for a year, do what you can to, you know, get a better situation in the future. I understand that Stroud and young are probably going to be top three picks next year, unless right. the Broncos strip their roster and they're not going to do that because the ownership situation they're not going to strip the roster to tank like that. So do what you can to get in position to potentially get that guy. And if you can't better your situation and continue to kind of play this game out as long as you can with good enough quarterbacks. And again, I know that Broncos fans hate it because it always bites yeah. them in the ass. Sure. But part of that is because they're good and quote unquote, good enough quarterbacks are Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, Brandon Allen, like guys that right. shouldn't be starting at all are their, are their bridges. They need to find a better bridge and they need to hang on to him until they find a real answer. That's, that's where I land on it. No, I, I, I don't disagree at all. That's why I'm just like, at this point, it's like, 
I'm not obviously I'm not nearly sold on Drew Locke as the quarterback, right? But it's like, what do you have to lose at yeah. this point? Yeah. Are, are you just gonna bring Teddy Bridgewater back and just be like, yay, mediocrity? Like at least take a like at least take a plunge and just see something a little different, right? Like give him a shot, give him a 16 game, 17 game, whatever. And just be like, okay, now we can move on because Drew Locke stinks. Like we know this definitively, like there's no gamble anymore. That's like why I just keep talking about like the Daniel Jones thing, right? Like it's not the quarterback, it's not the draft to take quarterback. So like Daniel, if I was the Giants, I would put good situations around Daniel Jones and I would let him fail. And then it's over with. And then you move on because you've seen it. There's no debating. It's all like, oh, his offensive line sucks and this guy sucks. Okay, cool, man. Like, I get that. There's context to every situation. But, like, put a guy in a decent situation and let him fail or let him succeed. And then we move on if we have to. Like, that's just the point blank period to me on that type of thing. That's where I'm at as well. So, but thank you again, Ryan. It it was a lot of fun. Uh, Guys, Mm -hmm. I'm terrible about this. I apologize. I should have done this at the very beginning. If you didn't. If you do not already follow Ryan on Twitter, go do it. He is at Rise and Draft. Uh, literally Rise and the letter N Draft. Go read his stuff at Rise and Draft. Yeah, like, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. I really appreciate you again for having me.